Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Emery Gorgon, a colorectal surgeon and co-director of the Cleveland Clinic Endoluminal Surgery Center. In another episode of this podcast, I talked to Dr. Bott about management of lesions in the upper GI tract. Dr. Gorgon is here today to talk to us about lower GI surgeries. Welcome. Thank you very much, Dale, and th- thank you for having me here for the second time. It's, a, it's really an honor uh, to be chatting with you. Absolutely. We, uh, I'll comment that you have another episode where we talked about organ-sparing approaches to rectal cancer. Um, but today we're going to talk about endoluminal surgeries and the endoluminal surgery center. So maybe we can just take a really brief step back and let the listeners know what exactly is endoluminal surgery? Thank you, Dale. Uh, uh, really a great question because uh, sometimes it can be a little confusing. What, that, what does that really mean? What is endoluminal surgery? Uh, I, I guess we can start by not to lecture here or anything like that, but uh, what we uh, mean by that is lumen is, uh, is an organ, a hollow organ or like an intestine. And uh, doing a surgery, uh, staying inside of that intestine is in, in basic terms what we mean by that. I mean, this is more of a space or specialty within our group or gastrointestinal surgery or gastrointestinal diseases. Is it, It's still evolving and developing, but it is a very exciting space. And it really uh, helped our patients uh, greatly in terms of, again, organ sparing to not to necessarily... Uh, take out a major part of uh, patients' uh, patients' uh, uh, organs or intestines or colons or rectums or even stomach, uh, as my co-director uh, Dr. Bat uh, will be talking in a different podcast. So what we mean by that is uh, there's a large number of patients discovered on a yearly basis with abnormal tissues in the colon and rectum, and some of them are really early lesions thanks to our uh, widespread screening uh, protocols and screening programs within the United States. And as you know, also the uh, preventive task force in the United States recently decreased the uh, age cutoff for for screening down to 45. With that, uh, we expect to see even more of these uh, new pre-malignant or early malignant lesions in the colon and rectum. Of course, I'm mostly speaking for the specifically for the lower GI, which means uh, our colon and rectum, the last portion of our intestinal tract before it exits from from the anus. So with these screening colonoscopies, uh, when the lesions are discovered, it's unfortunately a common referral pattern within the United States that these patients are typically referred to surgeons for uh, surgeons like myself and like my colleagues, colorectal surgeons, for removal of these lesions because these lesions, majority of the time, deem unamenable uh, to be removed endoscopically. However, advanced endoscopists and surgical endoscopists or gastroenterologists, we believe, who are really passionate about this approach is that without doing surgery, we can take these lesions out endoscopically. 
But as we have been doing these procedures more and more, we uh, we developed our techniques, we developed our approaches, we we improved our skills as uh, uh, proceduralists, as well as our tools and instruments, the devices are also refined and improved to the point that Compared to what we used to do maybe uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, now we can really do more technically challenging procedures and tissue removals, uh, these abnormal tissue removals inside of the intestine to the point that recently we started to call call this approach endoluminal surgery because it is not necessarily just putting a snare or lasso around the polyp like a mushroom type of lesion and just cutting it off or chopping the lesion off. It's more than that. We really precisely take these lesions millimeter by millimeter and remove it from from the underlying uh, muscle muscle layers of the intestinal wall. With that, safely we can remove these lesions and uh, still uh, get good pathologic analysis, pathology analysis, as well as preserve someone's organ. So that that's why this is an area and a space that uh, I'm privileged to share with you that we started to call this with a few other physicians in, in the United States, but definitely take pride in that. Uh, we probably uh, are one of the first endoluminal surgery centers, if not the first, that uh, has this type of a center and offers this type of uh, services to our patients. So when we think about endoluminal surgery compared to the traditional surgery or you know, as you say, you know, oftentimes in a colonoscopy, they will just try to pluck out a polyp. What's What would be an ideal lesion that should not be removed by, like during the colonoscopy, but be referred for an endoluminal procedure? So is there a location? Is there a size? What, what are the criteria that you would like to see in terms of who comes to you for this procedure? Speaking for the lower GI, I'm, again, I'm going to concentrate on the colon and rectal lesions. And that's how we divided our work uh, among ourselves within our center, upper and lower. I'm happy to share with you that any location within the colon and rectum is applicable for this type of approach. Lesions that are complex, there are obviously the majority of the smaller polyps, and these are usually 85% of the lesions that are discovered during regular screening colonoscopy are able to be removed by endoscopist that is not necessarily trained or skilled in advanced endoscopy. So majority of these smaller polyps can be snared, removed with forceps or with snares, different sizes. However, when it comes down to these 15% of lesions, it can be anywhere in the colon, can be in the rectum, but typically to the eyes of the endoscopist, regular endoscopist, quote unquote, these can be deemed not easily removable uh, by, uh, by their assessment. And these lesions can be then sent to surgeons. So these are the ones that we're talking about. The little bit more complex, they're definitely not uh, easy to, to be removed. Looks uh, larger, a little bit larger. The society guidelines usually indicate definitely larger than two, two centimeters. But having said that, there are some lesions that are smaller, but they are a little bit more complex. Either they are scarred or puckered in the middle, uh, they might be some features. So I don't want to limit it to necessarily just the size, but complex uh, is, I think, a better term that we can de- describe. But one way or another, the primary screening endoscopist does not feel like these lesions are easy. 
So these certainly are good candidates for our, our center to be patients and to be possibly considered for endoluminal surgical removal. Having said that, of course, if there's clear-cut pathology uh, with biopsy that reveals cancer, more than like an early cancer, but certainly a large mass, these are, of course, still, uh, I need to mention that these need to be removed surgically, of course. So is there an educational component here, perhaps, that people doing the primary colonoscopies might be aware that this is a potential, so they either don't attempt to remove something maybe they shouldn't or uh, make the right referral patterns? And if so, how does that happen? 100%. This is such a good point, and thank you for, Dale, bringing this up. Uh, and this, this, this is also in the guidelines of, uh, of, of different societies as well. Certainly, a great amount of education goes into referring physician publications or activities like, such as this are very important from that perspective. And we try to send out, uh, you know, newsletters, information bulletins, as well as uh, our publications, of course, scientific publications are towards that. But society guidelines are out there as well. But still, there, it, that's a continuous education and uh, communication between us and the referring physicians. That's why always I prefer to communicate back to our referring physicians uh, about this type of details. So what are education? Certainly recognizing the lesions. Possibly if something looks uh, non-malignant, not necessarily biopsying it, because when you biopsy these lesions, that can create more scarring uh, in the lesion and can actually uh, uh, make our job for endoluminal surgery, a little bit harder, um, not necessarily putting a tattoo. You know, when endoscopists find these lesions, they tend to put a blue dye or a dye uh, to mark that lesion. So we, we can, when someone comes back, can easily identify these. But putting these dyes right under the lesion is not a good practice as well because that can create also scarring of the lesion down to the uh, deeper tissues and can make our procedure and aluminum procedures harder. So these are definitely uh, important educational points that, uh, that we like to inform our uh, referring physicians. So you mentioned before about size or you mentioned complexity of things that maybe should come to you when you're actually doing the procedures. Um, is there a size or complexity where it's not appropriate to do this? What are those kind of boundaries? And when would you decide not to do an endoluminal procedure and go to surgery? Size-wise, certainly, I can't tell you that there's an upper limit. And there's certainly not a low, lower limit. Obviously, the smaller lesions uh, takes less time to re completely remove them. Um, but again, like some small lesions can be harder as well because of different reasons like scarring, puckering, depression down to the attachment to the muscle layer for different reasons either from previous procedures or even maybe an early cancer, these can be difficult. Uh, having said that, when we look at the different studies, the fact that a lesion is large does not necessarily always indicate that it has a higher risk for malignancy or cancer. So that's a good news. Sometimes really benign lesions, non-cancerous lesions can grow really big sizes. And what we call them like more like carpeted lesions uh, covering a large surface area. Even sometimes a circumferential lesion that is encompassing the entire uh, circumference of the lumen. So these can be even benign. I've done multiple of these lesions. Uh, even sometimes, you know, it's it's very satisfying. Uh, we can even remove these circumferential lesions in an end block fashion, almost like a cylinder, 
and remove the entire intestinal lining, uh, and uh, and the pathology can be can be still non-cancer. So size-wise, there's nothing that would necessarily stop us. Uh, but the pit patterns, or what we call it, or the anatomy, like surface anatomy, how it looks from outside gives us a lot of information in terms of determining whether a lesion is malignant or benign. So from that perspective, certainly there are uh, factors that we weigh in or make decisions upon. So when we think about lower GI cancers, we think about colon cancers as a hereditary component. One of the strengths here at Cleveland Clinic is certainly the Weiss Center. What, what sort of collaboration do you have between the Weiss Center and hereditary cancers and these endoluminal procedures? So we have a very strong collaboration and uh, link to our Weiss Center and hereditary colorectal cancer uh, group. Uh, we work with them extremely closely. And uh, by the nature of what we do and what we treat here under our endoluminal surgical center umbrella, we do see uh, a lot of patients that are candidates for further workup and, and get them connected with our hereditary colorectal cancer group. Uh, we are privileged to have uh, a large uh, group of uh, providers within that group that provides us, helps us with uh, genetic counseling and uh, information. And very frequently also, we, as Endoluminal Surgery Center, we receive patients that have also not only one polyp, but s several polyps throughout their colon at different age groups or with the strong family histories, et cetera. We, we have a care path that we channel them into this uh, Vice Center as well so we can get their uh, genotyping uh, and a panel there and gen genetic profiling and get them into and uh, include them into our uh, registry uh, for within the Vice Center. So there is certainly a, a great collaboration and we are, like I said, uh, uh, privileged and in a unique position uh, to be able to provide our or, or offer our patient patients this type of this these type of services as well. So what when we think about outcomes, tell us a little bit about outcomes. You know, traditionally we we sort of think of this as you know colonoscopy, remove some polyps, or you find a tumor and go to surgery. So um, this is a totally different way to think about how to manage polyps and sort of precancerous positions and repeat colonoscopies. Um, what kind of outcome data do we have in terms of our ability to prevent cancers? Yes, that's something that we really uh, paid attention uh, on it. And with our care coordinators and program managers within our group, we were privileged to work with outstanding uh, providers. And we developed our care paths. And with that, uh, certainly when a patient is referred to us, to our center, we follow these care paths very closely. Certainly, uh, due to the reasons that we, we discussed before, we need to decide uh, by looking at the anatomy or surface, the uh, spe specific features of the endoscopic view. Really, is this a first, first step? Is, is, is this a good match, good patient for our center or not? Can we really approach these patients first with endoluminal surgery? And for that, certainly colored images is the first thing that we request and to, to understand better uh, what the specifics uh, of these lesions are. Because really, pictures mean much more than uh, a paragraph even in some cases. And as trained, as humbly speaking, having trained uh, eyes and visual feedbacks in our mind, minds, we can, uh, we can make 
a lot out of these uh, colored images. Based on that, we then decide whether we can treat these under general anesthesia settings or local uh, or under conscious sedation settings. So we, we, we have the ability to offer our patient services, both inpatient and outpatient. And then these procedures are performed. And following to that, certainly there is a close follow-up protocols that we also incorporated into our care path. And certainly all advanced endoscopy or all endoluminosurgical patients are, again, surveyed uh, with colonoscopy in six months period to make sure what the outcomes or what the outcome uh, final results are. So that's that brings us back to your question, what are the outcomes? Certainly, uh, what we are monitoring there is, do we have any high recurrence rates? Do we, uh, yes, we think that we are removing these lesions, but are these lesions are completely eliminated from the colon surface, from the rectal surface, or are they, do they tend to come back? So in our registry, in our uh, follow-up uh, outcome books, outcome uh, registries, I, I'm very happy to share with you is that, that our recurrence rates for these polyps are less than 2%, and that's way below the national averages. And when they do come back, they are in the form of adenomas and non-malignancies, and, uh, and 99% uh, we can still remove these uh, endoscopically with, with further endoluminosurgical approaches. So ultimately, there are very, very uh, rare incidences that we need to do surgically take these lesions out, either taking part of the colon or rectum, but I'm happy to share with you that majority of these lesions are managed purely endoluminally at the end. Cancer risks are also uh, very low, of course. If you find a cancer then in the final pathology that requires more advanced, more oncological resection, uh, also that puts us in a unique position as well that as surgeons, as colorectal surgeons, then we can streamline these patients very quickly and get their colon uh, resections or rectal resections scheduled uh, very efficiently with the help of our uh, outstanding teams and provide them the best healthcare that our patients deserve. Well, that's uh, really fascinating how we've been able to uh, develop this. Appreciate all of your efforts to do that. This is a great option for patients, and I appreciate your insight. So to learn more about Cleveland Clinic's Endoluminal Surgery Center or to refer a patient, please call 216-444-1244. That's 216-444-1244. You can also visit the website at clevelandclinic.org ELS. That's clevelandclinic.org ELS. Thank you very much again. My pleasure, Dale. Thank you very much for having me on this prestigious uh, podcast. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.